Hello and welcome back to the Here and Now podcast where we talk about movies, TV shows, do reviews, give opinions and so much more. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about Elon Musk buying Twitter and the topic of free speech and a whole lot more. So stay tuned. So you've probably noticed that this episode is titled a bit differently to all of the other episodes to date. I've called it The Lounge, and uh, I guess that's what I'm going to call this type of episode going forward. Now, uh, what this really means is, when I was planning out this podcast, I thought that every episode was going to be sort of freeform, uh, talk about a different, a couple of different topics that were current and related to, to media and entertainment and that sort of thing. But a couple of decisions led to me going in a different direction and I decided to primarily do standalone episodes uh, reviewing or analyzing an individual movie or TV show. But I did still want to do these types of episodes because sometimes you just you just see these headlines, you see stuff going on in the media and in the entertainment industry and you just think, what the hell is going on? And uh, where, where are we going to end up? Where, where are we going with this sort of stuff? So I decided to still go ahead and do uh, these kinds of episodes where we just talk about a couple of different things that are going on at the moment. With that being said, the bulk of the episodes are still going to follow the format that you see the other episodes in, where we, uh, we really kind of hone in on one particular TV show or movie or something to that effect in each individual episode. And that has been going really well. I'm honestly blown away at how fast the podcast has grown and the number of downloads we've been getting per episode. It has surprised me, so a huge thank you to each and every one of you who have been tuning into the show. Uh, it, it really does make a difference and uh, means the world to me. So uh, anyway, on to today's topics. Uh, first off, we've got Elon Musk buying out Twitter. So this has been in the news cycle for quite a while now. And it's it's brought out this this uh, really <laughs> this really jarring reaction from a, a huge part of the media and and I guess uh, political activists as well, and this whole topic of the importance of free speech has now come to light. Well, I wouldn't really say come to light. It's always been one of those topics that's uh, been at the forefront, but it's really it's really had a light shone on it now with this whole uh, Musk buyout of Twitter going on. Uh, the deal is is pretty much confirmed at this point from what I understand, but it will take a couple of months to finalize as is always the case with these kinds of things. So there is a possibility, I guess, that uh, it, it will fall through. But right now it seems the whole thing is greenlit and uh, he, he is going to be taking over Twitter pretty soon. So the argument that seems to be made here by a lot of people objecting to this is, well, we, we shouldn't have this this billionaire controlling a platform like this which is uh, critical to public discourse and, and it's basically the the modern day town square and it's it's not okay for a billionaire to just buy out this platform especially when he's made it clear that he wants to make sweeping changes to it and i find this so odd because this is you know twitter has never been a public institution it's always been a for profit company. Um, the only difference is that the person who's controlling it now is, is different to the people who were controlling it before. 
but it was always a, a private, uh, you know, for-profit company. It was run by a board. It was owned by shareholders. And the company was run entirely at the whim of the board. So there has never been this this inherent neutrality to the company. So, so the people who are upset about this, they're upset because now that direction that this company is going to go in is one that they might potentially dislike. And I have been thinking about why people would object to this concept of free speech because Musk has made it very clear that this is what he values. He wants to bring uh, free speech to the platform. He wants to ensure that uh, nobody's being censored unfairly and all of that stuff. So it, it does make you wonder, people who are objecting to this, I guess it's it's an implicit admission that uh, that they do want to keep people censored. They, they do want to keep uh, certain views and opinions suppressed on this platform to, to manipulate the conversation. I mean, the only reason you would object to free speech is, well, there's one or two reasons. Firstly, if, if you do want to manipulate the conversation in your favor, and secondly, if you genuinely think that there is some danger of uh, people calling for violence or uh, people conspiring to commit crimes and especially violent crimes. Now, you know, on that latter concern, yeah, sure, there are definitely people who do use or abuse their freedom of speech to uh, to conspire to commit crimes or to uh, call for violence towards other people, which is obviously a bad thing and, and nobody should want that. But here's the thing. For those of us who were old enough to remember when these big tech platforms were first taking off, when, when they really were the Wild West, um, and, and there was no censorship at the time, anything went, you could, you could do or say whatever you wanted, and uh, there were little to no repercussions. Well, it, it wasn't really this Armageddon type of, uh, of experience that uh, people are, are making it out to be, even with very little moderation. Uh, yes, sure, there were people, there, there were um, organizations and people who used to abuse platforms like these to, to call for, for bad things or to uh, arrange and plan bad things. But for the most part, it was just normal people expressing themselves. That's, that's just what people use the platform for. Um, you know, with, without heavy moderation and censorship, really, the number of bad things that, that happened on these platforms versus the amount of usage that they received, it, it was a really tiny percentage. Obviously, I can't put a specific number on it, but, but just if you look at the amount of traffic that these sites received and uh, you looked at the amount of activity, and then you looked at the amount of uh, truly bad, concerning things that, that we should all be opposed to, which went down on these platforms, it was a really, really tiny percentage. And so I'm inclined to believe that a lot of the people who are uh, opposed to, to Twitter becoming a more free speech orientated platform, they're really just hiding behind this prop of uh, supposedly being concerned about people abusing their, their free speech and all of that. I, I think it is people just wanting to manipulate the conversation, wanting to manipulate how information is presented to the general public. And if you look closely, you do kind of see this this uh, arrogance that seems to drive that sort of mentality. Um, during the, uh, the pandemic of, of the virus, which shall not be named, you had some platforms slapping these big warning labels on certain people's content. You know, there, there could be misinformation here or uh, you should really consult this or that source to find out more about uh, this this virus which shall not be named. And I was thinking, well, you know, people were in support of that kind of thing. 
but here's the thing if you support uh, that sort of of behavior you know slapping these warning labels on people's content uh, because you've you've decided that their content is wrong or it's incorrect or what have you well that would imply that you've figured out the right answer you've figured out the truth since since you're confident enough to slap a warning label on someone else's stuff this means that you've figured out what is true and correct now if we assume that that's correct and uh, you've you've derived the 100% correct opinion on this particular topic, well, okay, why don't you trust other people to arrive at the same conclusion as you? I mean, if you've been able to do it, uh, why don't you entrust your fellow man to do the same? And the answer is arrogance. These are people who think that they know better than everyone else. They entrust themselves to arrive at the inverted commas correct opinion, but they don't trust you to do it. They don't trust everyone else to do it. And so they're in favor of, uh, you know, let's let's steer the sheep around, let's let's uh, lead the idiots that are not as smart as us, and, and we'll tell them what the right opinion is. And uh, I actually saw a perfect example of this sort of arrogance uh, a few days ago, came across this clip on YouTube, and uh, it's one of these talking heads on, on MSNBC, I think his name is Mehdi Hassan, or something like that. Um, I think I've heard of the guy before, but I don't really come across his content all that much. And he was having a bit of a rant about how bad and dangerous this was that uh, Elon Musk is buying out Twitter and wants to make it a bastion of free speech and all of that. And one of the comments he made was, you've got this, something I, I might be paraphrasing here, but one of the comments he made was, so you've got this billionaire and not a very bright one at that. Uh, that That's what he said. And I remember watching this and thinking, You've got to be on a whole different level of arrogant to stack yourself up against someone like Musk and his companies and his achievements when you're a talking head on on a, a news network and to claim that he's, he's not a particularly bright billionaire. I mean, on one hand, you've got, you've got this Hassan guy who all of his achievements are, are purely meta-achievements. It's uh, people within his industry, people who think exactly like him, patting each other on the back, giving each other awards, and, and that sort of stuff. And on the other hand, you've got Musk, who he, he popularized the idea of doing payments embedded and integrated into the internet uh, with PayPal. He single-handedly transformed the image of the electric car. He, he single-handedly made the electric car a cool, desirable consumer product that ordinary people actually aspired to own. It wasn't like that before before the Tesla uh, brand came along. Electric cars were regarded as, as awful. You only really wanted to drive one if you wanted to send a message about how much you cared about the environment. But then Tesla came along and changed all of that basically overnight. Uh, he, he's planning on putting people on Mars. He's already f uh, sent multiple rockets successfully into space and recovered them. And to look at this and think, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to call this guy uh, not particularly bright on national television, uh, and I'm going to say with a straight face, that is the height of arrogance. But here's the thing. I've been wondering why so many normal people are opposed to this idea of free speech as well. I understand the political crowd. I understand they, they have a, a motive in uh, keeping Twitter operating a certain way. I get where they're coming from. I think it's evil and I think it's wrong and I don't agree with them, but I at least understand their motivation. 
But what about ordinary people? Because there's a lot of just normal folks with no clear vested interests, no profit motive, no power motive, who also seem just opposed to this idea of free speech. And I think a lot of people have forgotten what it was like before these big tech platforms came along. And uh, they've sort of forgotten how much of power has been transferred from legacy media to just ordinary people through these platforms. You know, the other day I was uh, watching this live stream from uh, a YouTuber that I follow. And it's quite a small channel. It's not a massive channel. And the live stream had, I think it was about 3,000 people watching at the time. And I thought to myself, why why is this guy wasting his time? It was such a tiny live stream. Because, of course, like most people, I've become desensitized to it, right? Uh, with YouTubers that have tens of millions of subscribers and, and getting hundreds of thousands of views every time they do a live stream. I'm, I'm watching this live stream, about 3,000 viewers. I'm thinking, isn't this a bit of a waste of time? And then I, I really, it really hit me that, you know, if, if we went back about 20 years and you just walked outside, stood on, on, your, uh, on your driveway and, and started talking about some random topic, if I walked up and told you that, you know, there's going to be seven jumbo chats worth of people turning up to hear you, a random, a random person, just a normal person, talking about this particular topic you've chosen to talk about, you would think I'd lost my mind. You would never have believed me. And yet, that's where we are today. That, that's what people can do with these big platforms. Uh, the, the power of, of, this, of this tech is uh, it's really quite mind-blowing when you think about, uh, you know, compared to 20-plus to years ago, uh, the, the capability that's been afforded to ordinary people. It's really extraordinary. Now, here's the really interesting thing. These platforms are not powerful because of the literal tech behind them. I mean, that stuff is important, obviously, the way these platforms work and such. But they're not powerful because uh, of a bunch of servers in a rack somewhere. They're powerful because of the people that use them. And the reason they're drawn to these platforms is because they believe, on some level at least, that it's an organic thing. Uh, we want to see what other normal people around the world are saying about whatever uh, whatever topic we're interested in. And when you start imposing censorship and you start curating the views that people are allowed to see, you're stripping away what really makes these platforms powerful. Because people are not going to keep pitching into the conversation or viewing the conversation if it no longer seems organic. You know, once you pass the tipping point and people suspect that what's being put in front of them is actually being curated by some some board or some department within the big tech company, it's going to drive them away. And when that happens and uh, the, these platforms kind of lose their appeal as being these public town squares, what happens is uh, the, the control of information and the dissemination of information it goes back to the legacy media. It goes back to the likes of uh, CNN and MSNBC and all the rest of them. The thing is, I suspect a lot of people actually want that. From the reactions I'm seeing to this whole Twitter buyout, it appears that there are a lot of normal people who would be happy to go back to that status quo from 15 to 20 years ago. If I had to hazard a guess as to why, I think it's because after having access 
to these platforms for you know a good couple of years at this point. People see how fierce this debate is about various topics on all of these platforms. Uh, they see these these outrage mobs kind of go after people for, for holding the wrong opinions on certain things. I think, you know what? I'd rather leave this up to someone else. Let's rather leave this to the professionals. Uh, let a talking head on, on, a, on a news outlet talk about this. Uh, this is no place for me. I'm just going to stay out of it. And so, yeah, I think in many ways, it's kind of coming full circle. Uh, at first, people were really thrilled at this whole this whole concept of, of these big tech platforms where everyone has a voice. And now they're at a point where they think, you know what, uh, really it should only be qualified people, uh, inverted commas, qualified people who talk about certain topics. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm happy for these big tech platforms to be rolled back, be censored, uh, undergo uh, curation, uh, let let the content be heavily moderated and all of that. And uh, we, can, we can go back to the sort of legacy media era where the important stuff is only spoken about by certain people. Where it gets very interesting, I think, is when you look at the entertainment industry, uh, which is, of course, heavily intertwined with, with the, the media industry, when you look at the entertainment industry and the direction that that's gone in, I do think this is why movies and TV shows have become so preachy, uh, where the idea is, you don't really have to form an opinion about what's going on on the screen. You don't need to derive anything about the characters or the plot. You're handed these sort of instant opinions, these microwave opinions, where, for example, we'll put characters of different demographics on the screen, have one say snarky things to the other, and we're telling you that this is how you should be viewing these characters. This should be your view on this particular political topic. Um, and it's not just it's not just about the political stuff. It's not just about the social stuff. It's it's the way movies conduct themselves in general these days. Now, a while back, I wish I could remember what channel this was, but a while back I saw this excellent comparison between the uh, 1984 Ghostbusters movie and the 2016 god-awful remake of that movie. And the comparison was about how their proton packs, uh, that that's the, uh, the weapon that the Ghostbusters carry in their backpacks. The comparison was about how these proton packs work and how the movies present this information to you. And in the original movie, the whole thing is handled in this really tight single shot. It's about uh, 20 something seconds long. And by the end of it, you know what the packs are. You have an idea of how they work and you know how dangerous they can be. Whereas with the 2016 movie, the new movie, it's stretched out into this, this wordy contraption of like three different scenes and there's tons of dialogue and all the characters are just kind of awkwardly hovering around in the shot. Basically, the movie treats you like an idiot. You're being told that we're really going to rub it in that this is how this device works and you are probably too stupid to understand this the first time, so we're going to tell it to you again and again and again, and the thing just stretches on for, for a couple of minutes, uh, several times longer than the original movie. And this is a great example of how movies approach things these days. They don't trust their audiences to figure out what's going on on screen or derive a sensible opinion about what's going on on screen. Now, another example of this whole thing of being told opinions uh, that you should immediately accept unquestioningly 
is this whole Johnny Depp and Amber Heard thing that's playing out in court. Now, a couple of years ago, the media put out the story that uh, Johnny Depp was this abusive character. He was guilty of physical abuse and all the rest of it. Uh, the media ran with this, and uh, I believe it cost him some opportunities in certain movies. He was scrubbed from certain roles and so on. And uh, this fitted in with political sentiment at the time, which is why it caught on. And people who disagreed with this and kind of said, hey, you know, this is really out of character. Uh, this this seems to be the kind of behavior that no one has ever mentioned about this person who's been in the public eye for decades at this point. And uh, this sort of this sort of thing has never, ever come to light about him before. So maybe we should sort of hold off until more evidence gets produced. Uh, people who said that kind of stuff were shouted down. And now, of course, we're learning that the story was almost certainly wrong the whole time. It, it was the opposite way around, in fact. Uh, the, the truth probably is the complete opposite of what we were originally told a couple years ago. And we should really be reflecting on that. I mean... Instead of obsessing over the physical details of, of this particular case, we should all be stopping and thinking, you know, we were told this in no uncertain terms, and it turned out to be wrong, along with all of the outrage that accompanied the initial reaction. Uh, but no, instead, everyone's just kind of uh, fascinated by the literal day-to-day -day details that are emerging in the courtroom, and the whole thing will drop out of the news cycle eventually, and and the next the next big thing will come to light, and and uh, you'll be you'll be fed another opinion that you demanded uh, to accept. Now look, you don't need to care about Twitter. Maybe like me, you don't even particularly use Twitter in any significant way. Uh, you don't need to care about Elon Musk buying it out. You don't need to care about uh, talking heads on on news networks. Uh, you definitely don't need to care about the whole Johnny Depp and Amber Heard thing that's currently playing out. But I will tell you this. When we're at a point where there are a handful of people who want to be the sole purveyors of information and uh, tell other people what to think and, and order them to accept a certain train of thought, a certain opinion, and so many normal people want to go along with that arrangement and maintain it. Even ordinary people with no direct incentive to do so. How worried do you think we should be? And uh, I, think, I think we should be very worried indeed. And that's where we're going to leave it for today. If you enjoyed this podcast, do consider leaving a like, subscribe, review, depending on which platform you're on. As a reminder, the Here and Now podcast can be found on all major platforms. Thank you so much for tuning in and I will see you again next time.